Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. So, so glad you joined us today. Our mission today is to gain a better understanding of our gifted learners. If we were asked to describe a gifted learner, some of us might be thinking makes good grades, smooth sailing through life, straight to med school at age 14. Are these assumptions true? In reality, there may be more misconceptions about this group of learners than any other in our buildings. That's why we have a top expert author in gifted education with us today, Todd Stanley. Three key things to know about Todd. He was a gifted classroom teacher for 18 years. He's written many books. One was Project-Based Learning for Gifted Students. That's with Proofrock Press. He also wrote a series of workbooks, uh, 10 performance-based projects for the ELA Math Science Classroom. And for Corwin, he wrote Creating Lifelong Learners. He speaks at conferences, leads PD and gifted education. He's just a fabulous guy. So first of all, Todd, welcome. Tell us a little bit about what giftedness is and some traits to look for in our learners. Sure. Uh, well, first off, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, the interesting thing about gifted is there's no universally accepted definition of gifted. Um, even the, the, the people that be um, uh, can't seem to agree on what the definition of gifted is. So as a result, each state kind of determines for itself what does gifted mean. So some states focus on gifted and talented. So that's kids who are gifted, you know, academically and cognitively, but also and it may have talent that needs to be developed. And so, um, so what I would say, you know, the, what I would say for the general definition of gifted is a student that can, that can work at a high potential. Now, potential is one of those dangerous words because it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But I would say that the, it, their potential, um, what that means is when compared to, to kids of their same age, they are performing at higher levels. Um, whether in academically or just in the way that they think and things of that, that level. Um, so there basically are three types of giftedness. Uh, the first one is specific academic ability. And so that means a kid is gifted in math or a gifted is, kid is gifted in reading or science or social studies. Uh, that's very content-based. So in other words, if a student comes in and they um, have a good background in that or they've, they've had a teacher that really focused on that or a parent that Take them, took them to some experiences, they can test as gifted in uh, specific academic ability. Um, and so we get those every once in a while. Our kid is just gifted in math or a kid is just gifted in reading and nothing else. Uh, we get those. Uh, there's also creative thinking in the visual performing arts. And in the state of Ohio, there's been a big push for these two in the last few years. Um, and so creative thinking is a kid that thinks differently. So when a teacher asks a question, you know, 19 kids are giving a typical answer and this this 20th student gives a atypical answer, something that maybe they hadn't thought about or another way to look at it. Uh, and the visual performing arts are people that are talented in music, art, uh, performing art, you know, um, uh, be dance, things of that nature. And so the way that we um, evaluate those students in that is that there's typically like a um, a rating scale or a rubric where we determine whether they're gifted or not using the teachers that they have in those particular areas. Um, the last one, and I think the one that's most commonly thought of as being gifted is kids who are gifted cognitively. Um, and so some of the traits for a cognitive student is um, they have a quirky sense of humor. So uh, 
they get sarcasm. Uh, you know, a lot of younger kids, especially don't get sarcasm, but these kids do, they get, you know, they have a, you know, a good sense of humor, much, uh, higher than a student, uh, who's at the same age as them. Um, another trait is that these, these children tend to want to talk to adults more than they do kids their own age. Um, James Delisle, um, talks about the difference between what are called peer mates and what are called age mates. So in the United States, for better or for worse, when every kid turns five or six, they enter into kindergarten. And so they are entering in with a bunch of other kids the exact same age as them. Um, but we know that those kids are not all at the same level of ability. And so we group in the United States by age when in actuality there are kids who could maybe be at a, a higher level or kids who should be at a lower level. Um, and so gifted kids have difficulty finding peers in their age range because they are they t- think differently. They, you know, they have a different way of looking at things. And so they typically relate better to kids who are older than them and even adults. So I oftentimes would find kids come up to me at, on the playground and, and talking with me, having conversations with me. Uh, and then only to find out later that, yes, they were gifted. They were just seeking, you know, to have a conversation on, on their level. Another trait is um, being intellectually curious. So these are kids that are just naturally curious. Um, in that they want to, to try new things or they want to, to look at things from a different way. Um, and then the last trait that I, that I often see in gifted is a strong sense of fairness. So gifted students or gifted children in general have a real strong sense of justice. So if it seems like something has been unfair to them, they have difficulty moving past that. Some kids move past it, the problem, but with gifted kids, not all, but a lot of gifted kids have difficulty with that and they can't move forward unless they feel like justice has been served or that things have been set right. Um, and so and that can cause problems in the classroom because sometimes things aren't fair. And so, and, if, and not only is it that they're not fair, but the student might perceive it as not being fair. And so that can cause issues. Well, that's really illuminating, and that clarifies some things for me. And one of the things I want to talk about are some myths about giftedness, gifted learners. Um, I know when uh, I've worked a lot in uh, dropout prevention, and when I was doing some of the reading on that, I was startled to see it was not what I expected because quite a few of the kids who were actually dropping out were had been in gifted class or had been you know categorized as gifted. So I uh, know that's one of the myths that we might have. What are some other myths that we see in terms of gifted learners? Uh, well, I'll piggyback on the one that you just gave. So that that is a big myth. Uh, one myth is that all gifted kids love school and they're good at everything, um, but. Um, they find that anywhere from 25 to 50% of gifted students are underachievers. And the definition of underachieving is a student who is not working to their ability level. So, um, and, and this can be deceptive because some gifted students may be getting A's, but they're still not working to the level they're capable of. And so sometimes it's hard to spot these underachievers. But like you said, um, the statistics are that 18 to 25 percent of high school dropouts are identified in gifted uh, areas. And so and that's one out of every four kids is a gifted kid. So what is causing them to drop out? And so in a lot of cases, if a student is not put in um, programming that is going to challenge them, they become bored. I mean, imagine that you are, you know, Right now, at the age that we are being put into a second grade math class, how mind numbing that would be for us to have to learn that all over again. It's something we already know. Well, 
if a kid, if a gifted kid already knows something and yet they're being forced to, to move lock and step with other kids their same age, they're going to grow bored. And so they're going to start to dislike school. So it's actually the opposite. They, they start to, you know, to think school is a bad thing. And now these students still love to learn. They just love to learn what they want to learn. And so school might not be what they want to learn, but there's something else that they want to learn. So they might want to learn how to play the guitar or they might want to learn how to create a website or coding. You know, they, they um, determine what it is that they want to learn. So they are lifelong learners, but not necessarily loving school. That's really interesting. And, you know, uh, one of the, I'm a real, um, have a lot of interest in Thomas Edison. I love to read about Thomas Edison. Um, I find it an inspiring story. But when I, when I, uh, read about Thomas Edison and he's someone who some, we, we think of as, as a gifted person. When you, when you dig under there, I mean, he probably in today's schools would have an IEP. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about this may be another myth a little bit. What is it? Tell us what twice exceptional means. Is that something we see very frequently or those kids that should be on our radar as well? Uh, well, you know, twice exceptional kids, it's, and it's um, sometimes termed as 2E. They're not real common. At least I have not seen in my, my experience that they're very common. They do exist, though. So this is – and the reason why they're kind of rare is – it is difficult to identify these these students because the giftedness masks the special ed aspect, and then the special ed aspect masks the giftedness. And so they, they're in just this limbo where they're like in the middle. They're not identified in gifted or special ed when in reality they should be in both. Um, so that that's one difficulty is even trying to identify a twice exceptional kid. You brought up Thomas Edison. I, I'm, I'm, Albert Einstein was the like the epitome of underachieving gifted student. I mean, when he was in school, he got horrible grades, but he was a he, diver, he was a divergent thinker. He thought outside the box. He only wanted to learn what he wanted to learn. And so, um, some of the most the most brilliant minds that we have um, may have been underachievers, or like you said, they might be twice exceptional. So, um, you know, when when I we do have gifted students who are uh, twice exceptional, typically it's like ADHD, or it might be that they're on the spectrum for um, autism um, and things of that nature. And the the problem with that that I have sometimes is that I mean, I just finished the book ADH Nation, which is a very enlightening book for me. Which is that we overdiagnose ADHD. Um, when you look at the scales, the Connor scale that's used for ADHD, when you look at that. A lot of times it's describing your t- a, a, ki- a kid that how they act every day. Um, so it's a very subjective scale. And so as a result, you might ha- have a teacher that doesn't understand gifted kids. That So when a gifted kid is impulsively speaking out, they're not doing so because they're rude or because they can't keep attention. They just want to share what they know. And so as a result, a, a kid may be identified as ADHD when in, in fact they are not. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's, I didn't answer your question directly because it's kind of a murky area where we don't have a great understanding of it. And the biggest, the biggest difficulty I think with twice exceptional students is that you have to find a teacher that can challenge them on their level of giftedness, but at the same time can do accommodations to address their, their learning disabilities. And and that's a really tough tight wire, you know, act to, to, you know, to, to balance because, 
Um, there are there are teachers I've seen that are excellent at moving gifted kids. They are um, they're very skilled at. I have seen special ed teachers that move mountains with special ed students. Um, but finding a teacher that possesses both of those can sometimes be difficult because they are opposite ends of the spectrum. Although it's interesting, even though they're opposite ends of the spectrum, I would argue that they both are similar in that they have special needs that need to be addressed by the school. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of which, kind of segue into some issues that as educators, we want some things to sort of be on our radars because there can be a, a misconception that gifted students don't have any, that it's all smooth sailing for them. But in fact, they have sp- some specific needs that we need to to really keep in mind. Can you talk about a couple of those kinds of issues that we might see? Perfectionism, I know, is one of them. Can you kind of talk about a couple of those? Yeah. So um, some of the issues, and because they don't have, because they may not love school, there's a difference um, between uh, um a high achieving student and a gifted student. And this is often um, people think that, oh, a gifted student gets all A's, they behave, they listen to the teacher, they do what they're supposed to do. That's a high achiever. Um, and there are some gifted kids, there are many gifted kids who are high achievers. And there are many high achievers who are gifted kids. But there are all there are those other gifted kids that are not compliant necessarily because they're they're intellectually curious. They are constantly challenging the teacher. And if you have a teacher that doesn't understand gifted, they think that this is a discipline problem when in actuality, this is just a kid just being naturally curious. Um, and so that could be an issue. Um, gifted students have overexcitabilities. They are um, very emotional about certain things. So um, some gifted kids worry about things that are going on halfway across the world. I had a student once, he came in um, and he, he looked, his eyes were were dark. He looked horrible. Mom was with him and she said, I just wanted to let you know that he was up all night worrying about kids that were starving in Africa and he didn't get any sleep. Um, And so, you know, you have these kids that are, that are, um, I guess you could call them sensitive, but they, their giftedness heightens their sensibilities. And so they become kind of overexcitable about certain things. Um, And so as a result, you know, if their social emotional needs are very, very important. I, I would argue actually with gifted students that their social emotional needs are almost as, if not more important than their academic needs. So, you know, are you meeting their social emotional needs? Are they feeling like things are fair? Are they, you know, things of that nature? So um, that's something that, that educators could definitely be, look out for. Um, there is perfectionism. So uh, it doesn't run rampant, but I've seen it with, with gifted students from time to time. Like, I'd have a student that would stare at his test for 30 minutes before he put his first response because he wanted to put everything in his, all the correct answers in his head first before he wrote them down to make sure that they were written down correctly. Um, and so, there, like I said, it's not, it's not with the majority of gifted kids. Matter of fact, for the majority of gifted kids, they, they tend to be really messy and unorganized things of that nature. Uh, but there is the other, the other side of that where there are kids who are perfectionist and they're, and they're afraid to take risks. Uh, because of their perfectionism. So, and we, we know that in learning that where the most learning takes place is when we're, we're take, when students are taking risks. Um, and if you have a student who's a perfectionist and not willing to take a risk, then they're not going to learn to their potential or their ability. What can we do as teachers and, and as leaders to help them take those risks and, and get out there on that limb? So, so what I would say is give them opportunity. You have to make your classroom a safe environment to take risks. 
Um, you know, your traditional classroom is a, you know, ask a, a, a closed-ended question and look for a closed-ended answer. And then if a student gets it right, you praise them. If they don't get it right, you don't chastise them, but you don't reward them either. Or you may say, nice job. Um, and so in order for students to be able to take risk, they have to be put in situations where they feel safe to take that risk in the first place. And then secondly, where it's open-ended so that students are trying something where they might fail. Um, I, I just said the, the other day that, you know, I, I take CrossFit um, and, and in CrossFit, they teach us that to push yourself until you fail, because that's when you're really like getting your strength up and your endurance and all those things. And I would say that the same thing needs to happen in the classroom, that students need to be pushed until they fail, safely fail, but fail. And then they learn from that. We, I mean, as adults, you and I both know we learn far more from our mistakes and our failures than we do from our successes. I mean, I was speaking of Thomas Edison, you know, he failed 9,999 times to find the right filament for a light bulb. And he found it on that 10,000th try. Um, and so it, just think if he'd given up after 10 or 20 or 100, we would have never had the incandescent light bulb that, that he created. Um, and so you got to get kids the, the ability to do that. Oh, I love that. So You've are, you're kind of setting the foundation for the next question I'm going to ask you, and and it is this: Why does it matter that we have a gifted program? Because couldn't we, as teachers, say, "Let me tweak for them, let me differentiate for them," uh, sort of make a case, uh, make a case for that? So I, I would definitely, I'm definitely, a, a, a proponent for you know, a separate, not separate, but different education for gifted students. And here's why. Um, I am my principal. She's, she's very smart individual. And she, she said this one time and it stuck with me that she thinks of gifted kids as the exact same as special education kids, that these are, these are kids with very specific needs that need to be met. And the typical classroom is not always going to be able to meet those needs. And so the, the problem is that special, it's not a problem, but the problem against gifted is that special education is under federal law, under the American Disabilities Act. And so by law, schools have to meet the needs of special education students. Um, the way that it, the law, the law reads, however, for gifted is that you have to provide them an adequate education. There's nothing federally that says you have to, you have to challenge gifted kids to be at their level. And so it's kind of left up to each state. Um, and as a result, there are some, some districts that offer gifted and some that don't offer anything. And some states where they've got like $200 million in their state budget to put for gift towards gifted. And then you have Michigan, which puts $0 towards gifted funding um, at the state level. And so you have this great disparity. And so I would say the reason why you don't want to leave it in your typical classroom is that differentiation, um, in theory, is a great idea. I mean, we would love to meet the needs of all kids where they're at. The, the issue comes is when you put, when you have a wide spectrum of kids in your classroom. So if you have kids who are at one end and kids that are at the other end, it is tough to get around to all those kids and meet their individual needs. And so what typically happens is teachers end up teaching to the middle. And what happens is the special ed students or the kids who are at the lower end have to try to catch up and the kids who are at the upper end or the gifted kids have to wait for others to catch up. And so there, it's basically imagine running a race and 
you you have a student that's really really fast only you're told they're told before you get to the finish line you have to stop at certain points to let the others catch up and then you can run ahead and then wait for them and so on and so forth how frustrating that would be as a as a runner to have to encounter that um and so um i think gifted programming is important for another reason in that um there's not much training for gifted to meet the needs of gifted students in teacher training programs. Um, and so I, when I went through my under, when I went through my, to get my, uh, licensure to teach, now I didn't take, there was not one class or one mention of gifted and how to meet their needs. Now there was a lot for special education, but gifted, not so much. And so the reason why I think there needs to be a gifted program is because you can put the right teacher that can move those kids. Um, I, I have found in my experience that there are certain teachers that that work really well with gifted kids, that they ask those probing questions, that they're challenging those kids, that they're trying to get that kid to the next level, that they think like a gifted kid. Um, and I've had teachers that, you know, feel challenged by gifted students because the teacher a lot of times feels like they have to be the expert in the class, that they have to know the most, that they have to be the, the, the content expert, so to speak. And then they have this kid who comes along who has a greater you know, level of understanding. And so that can be very intimidating to teachers. Um, so you need to have teachers that work with gifted that aren't afraid to be wrong. I mean, that's, that was, I think one of my greatest attributes in the 18 years I was with working with gifted students is I wasn't afraid to be wrong. Um, I, w- I wasn't afraid for a student to question me and say, you know what, I think you're right. Or boy, that's, that's really interesting. Let's look that up. And so, um, but some teachers don't, they don't want to look, they don't want to look like they don't know what they're doing. And I think in a gifted classroom, you have to just go in with the understanding that these kids are very bright and that they do know more than you in some regards. And they do think about things differently than you do. Um, so the, the interesting, and I get this question asked all the time is that don't strategies that work in the gifted classroom work in any classroom. Isn't it just good teaching? Because some of the strategies in gifted classrooms are like project-based learning or um, station rotations or things of that nature. Um, where you meet the needs of those students. And the reason why those work really well is because they tend to be open-ended. So in a project-based learning, there is no like one correct answer. There's multiple ways to approach the, the project and multiple you know products that might re- come from that, those, uh, those projects. And so because it's open-ended, it lets that gifted kid, they can push themselves as far as they want to. It naturally differentiates. Um, and so... Um, it is it is totally true that yes, strategies that work in the gifted classroom do work in the regular classroom as well. The problem is is when it comes to a regular classroom, there are still a lot of teachers that teach very traditionally, um, where they are looking just for one right answer, or one right way to do it, or you know they are um, you know they ask very close ended questions. And so I mean I look at I look at some high school I you know I work with all levels in my, in my role as gifted coordinator, and I work with some high school teachers. They're asking rote memorization questions of seniors in high school um, that the student will never need to know, but it's very close-ended. Um, and so, you know, we need more teachers who are asking those open-ended questions, and it just comes natural to them where they can ask the, the probing questions. So when a gifted student says something, they can ask a follow-up question and say, what about this? Or have you, have you thought about this? Or, you know, where they're, they're pushing that student to the next level. So we need specially trained teachers to work with those students. We need techniques in the classroom that's going to allow students to have, be able to use their ability so that there needs to be more open-ended tasks in classrooms.
Okay, so let's pretend that we are going on teacher walks. Um, and so I, we're walking down the class. We're going into a gifted ed classroom. What are you most excited to see in a gifted ed classroom? So, you know, I, I know that all teachers are different and different teachers have different strengths. So there's no real one thing that I'm looking for. But what I would say what excites me personally is that I like to walk into a classroom and then students are being given choices. So it's not like do this worksheet and turn it in. It's like, here's the skill that I want you to learn. How can you show me what you learn? What ways? And so there, so the use of menu boards is an excellent example of giving students choices. Um, and so there, and, and there also has to be that, that, um, the latitude to let kids choose something not on the menu board. Um, I've had students that have come to me and said, you know, I want to try it like this. And I'm like, go for it. You know, that's great. And then they come up with something spectacular because it's something that they're passionate about. Um, and so that, that's one thing I'm looking for student choice. I like to see student directed learning. So one thing I do not like is to walk into a classroom and the teacher is talking 95% of the time. I mean, these students um, are very capable so they're capable of teaching themselves. They don't need the teacher necessarily. And with technology that we have today, um, students can teach themselves a lot of things themselves a lot quicker than a teacher can teach them. And they can, te- they can learn at their own pace. And so walking to a classroom where kids are directing their own learning, they're the ones leading the discussions. They're the ones dictating where things are going. That's exciting to me. Um, and I would say, and I always say this, teachers always apologize because their classrooms are, are noisy or, or they seemingly are unorganized. I would say my favorite thing to see in a classroom is um, organized chaos. And I, I know those seem contrary to one another. But what I mean by organized chaos is that you have given students a task to do and you, you, you've told them what you want them to achieve by the end, but you haven't defined everything in, in between there. So students have a lot of choice on how they're going to go about doing it. They have a lot of choice in how they're going to show you what they learned. Um, and so everyone is working at a different pace and everybody is doing something different. And that's exciting to me to walk into a classroom and see that kids are all working on different things because they're giving, they're being given choice and they're, they are, you know, able to, play to their strengths and the things that excite them so that they can learn. I mean, the one thing I think we sometimes forget in school, and it would seem obvious, is that we're supposed to be teaching these kids to love learning. And yet sometimes we beat that love of learning out of them by having too much rote memorization or too much close-ended um, you know, things. And so as a result, students start disliking school and they dislike learning. They d- dislike school learning. They still want to learn, but not school learning. And that's where we get into that issue like we talked about before of underachievers. And one thing I want to mention before I forget, Todd has put the most beautiful resources up on Myad Expert. One of the um, things that people have downloaded the most on the site is your unopened gift, which is a storybook. Um, that facilitates conversations about students' reluctance to open their intellectual gifts. So if you go to my mm-hmm. expert, just type in Todd Stanley, you're going to see some fabulous things, and we're so appreciative of you doing that. Um, so I want to start wrapping up a little bit, and I, I made a few notes. Some of my key notes for takeaways are really the social and emotional needs of gifted students. It's that, that's something 
uh, we want to really pay attention to that there's a difference between high achievers, which are great and gifted students. The case for gifted programming. I mean, I'm, I've, I've read some, uh, one of your articles that you're an advocate for uh, more of a federal mandates, like, like special education for gifted students. So, and I'm, I was surprised when I read one of your articles about how it's a patchwork quilt of our states. Um, in some states it funded, some states don't have gifted programs. I was very surprised to see all of that. So those are some things that I'm going to take with me. Um, and so one of the things I'm also looking at are your three biggest things. Let's give a couple things for next day implementation. What are maybe one or two things we can remember from our conversation for schools tomorrow for gifted education? So I would say that the biggest takeaways is, um, first off, as a teacher, uh, don't assume. So a lot of times we feel like gifted kids are going to be okay, no matter because they're gifted. And so as a result, they'll learn in spite of us. Um, and so I, we should not make that assumption as, as a school, uh, school district, because if those students needs aren't met, they may go into that underachievement phase, which is, so that's why 25% of kids who drop out of high school are gifted kids because they lost that love of learning. Um, it wasn't that they weren't capable. They were extremely capable of graduating from high school. They just didn't buy into the game of school anymore. So I think it's important to not assume that gifted kids are going to be okay, no matter what. We need to make sure that there are there's programming in place that's going to meet their needs. Um, I, and I would say the, uh, the second thing I would say is that when it comes to programming, there is no one right way to do programming. There's no one size fits all. You know, the saying goes, one size that fits all fits no one. And so it is important that when you put programming into place, it is meeting the needs of your students. So, for instance, in my district, we have a, a high number of kids who are gifted in math. And so as a result, a lot of the program we have in the beginning years is for math. And so we offer a lot of programming in regard to that. Um, we had always been light in reading, but uh, the last couple of years, we started to get more reading kids. And so um, the, our math program is a pull-out gifted program where they, get, they work with a gifted intervention specialist to meet their needs. We didn't have as many um, language arts for us to be able to pull them out. But what I did was we created gifted clusters. And so we put all the kids who were gifted in reading in one class together and then worked with that, that teacher to, to come up with ways to challenge students. This was not a gifted uh, intervention specialist, but we did offer them training in order to, to figure out ways to meet the needs of these students. Um, and so the other thing I think is really important is that there needs to be an advocate in the district for gifted kids. Um, because like I said, some states don't even test for giftedness. So a parent's not even aware that their child is gifted. Um, and so if there's not that advocate in place, whether it's a gifted coordinator or a principal who has a special place in their heart for gifted or whatever, it just gets left by the wayside. And so as a result, those gifted kids are not going to have any of their needs met because there's not someone advocating for them. I would say, you know, I, I feel like 90% of my job is to advocate for gifted kids and to make sure that they're getting what they need. And, I, and I'm very passionate about that. And sometimes I can get me into trouble. Um, but regardless, I'm going to push for everything I can for those students because they are not, their needs, needs are not being met as, as well as they could. Um, and so, I think it's really important to have an advocate in, in the district for gifted. Well, I so appreciate, we all are appreciating your passion for the topic. I think it's, I know I've learned a great deal today. What is your contact? What are, what are, what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is at two socks, 21 T 
TWOSOX21. And it's and the, the um, kind of like the secondary title is Todd's Gifted Rants. And so on that, what I'm typically tweeting are pictures of students and our gifted students in action, um, doing things or uh, thoughts of when I'm reading books on gifted education, but it is, it is all geared towards gifted education. And we will post your contact and all of that on the notes for this show. So thank you so much for Todd, for being with us today and for every educator out there. Thank you for opening doors for your kids every single day for creating possibilities for your students. Join us next time for other conversations with some of the best thought leaders in education. Thank you. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our authors' work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.